0: Right. Hello, and welcome to Quick Hits, a podcast brought to you by Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, president of Borealis. And for today's podcast, which I'm recording on the 21st of July, 2020, I want to revisit the notion of terrorist group leadership and what to do about it. So, in the past, I have devoted a few blogs and perhaps a few podcasts to this notion that eliminating terrorist leaders, i.e. the leaders of terrorist groups or organizations, is often presented as a major step, a major blow to a terrorist group's capabilities, and that isn't always the case. We talked about how al-Qaeda was apparently decimated with the loss of bin Laden in 2011, and I've noted that, yes, he was replaced by Ayman al-Zawahiri, who's got the charisma of a doorknob. We talked about the PKK in Turkey, how Abdullah Öcalan's been in prison on an island in Turkey for the better part of a quarter, more than a quarter century. Yet the PKK is still around. We have the examples of things like the Sindaro Luminoso, the Shining Path in Peru, which never really recovered from the imprisonment of Abimal Guzman, who was their leader in the early 90s by the Peruvians. So I came across this story today a little bit of a profile of the new leader of ISIS. You all recall, of course, that Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was killed a few years ago by U.S. Special Forces, and he has been replaced by a man called Amir Muhammad Abdul Rahman al-Mawla, who has a couple of nicknames. One is the Professor, because of his background, and the other is the Destroyer. It sounds like a really bad video game or something from a science fiction film. He apparently has a reputation for brutality, and yet there's a lot about him that we don't know. This is from an article I got from France 24 website that talks a little bit about What we do know about him, despite his rather enigmatic status. We know he's brutal. He apparently is best known for playing a, quote, major role in the jihadist campaign of liquidation of the Yazidi minority in Iraq through massacres, expulsion, and sexual slavery. This is according to Jean-Pierre Fillieu, who is a a jihadist scholar at Sciences Po in Paris. And I I have a lot of time for for Jean-Pierre. He's a really good, really good scholar. It is believed he was born in 76. He actually joined al-Qaeda in Iraq. And then was incarcerated with Baghdadi himself at at Camp Bukha. He is obviously he's gotten out. And there's all this speculation about what he's going to do. Is he gonna have to try and prove himself? Is he gonna try and prove himself to be better than Al Baghdadi, et cetera, et cetera? But what it seems to me is that at a minimum, he's a very, very nasty man. If you know anything about the Yazidis and what happened to them, I just saw a very emotional piece. I think it was CBS News about the young lady who won the Nobel Prize. Her name skips my mind right now for for the Yazidi genocide. Really hard to watch without without tearing up. Which brings us to the question about whether or not the elimination of al-Baghdadi was A, as important as it was portrayed by President Trump a few years ago, and B, was a good idea. There's an old saying, better the devil you know than the one that you don't. Is this the case for Islamic State? Is this new Maldol the Destroyer, is he going to turn out to be a worse man than al-Baghdadi? Now, I don't know offhand how involved al-Baghdadi was in the brutal slaughter of innocent civilians that ISIS partook in in 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016. Seems like this, uh, this, this new guy, was uh, he got his hands dirty, literally and figuratively, in the genocide which ISIS participated in. But it it strikes me that it's not a good idea to replace what I thought was a more uh, sort of scholarly, ethereal al-Baghdadi with this new guy, albeit the new guy also has a background. He apparently graduated from the Islamic Science College in Mosul in Iraq. He took on the role of religious commissary, and he was basically a Sharia jurist for al-Qaeda. So he was the guy who was able to misinterpret Islamic law to fit Al Qaeda's purposes. In other words, he would look at what Muslim scholars, Muslim jurists, said over the centuries and twist it in order to suit what Al Qaeda was trying to do, which was basically say Islam calls for this, Islam calls for violence, Islam calls for terrorism, Islam calls for the killing of the innocent, Islam calls for the killing of the kuffar, the the though the unbelievers as as they as they call them. So he does have an interesting scholastic background. So, what's next for this? What's, what's going to happen now? We know categorically that ISIS is not dead. It's almost in a Mark Twain a way that, you know, the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. ISIS is still very, very active in Iraq and Syria. If you follow the news in that area of the world from local sources, there isn't a day that doesn't go by without some ISIS attack or some arrest of ISIS guys or a foreign attack or some kind of armed conflict or interaction between the Syrian defense forces, i.e. the Kurds or the Syrian army or the Iraqi army or the coalition, whatever is left of it in that part of the world or the Turks or whomever. Islamic State is very, very much with us. No, it doesn't have the caliphate. No, it doesn't control territories it once did. And perhaps its reputation has taken a bit of a hit from its height of 2014 when al-Baghdadi declared the so-called caliphate from that pulpit. But I do think that we have to be very, very careful in looking at ISIS going forward. We have to get away from this notion that the elimination of al-Baghdadi was important. It doesn't seem to have been that important in the sense that the group is still, as I mentioned, very much on the ground, very much active. We are still seeing attacks claimed by individuals in many countries around the world who say they're acting on behalf of Islamic State. They're they're self-styled ISIS guys, to the best of my knowledge. We're still still seeing attacks in Iraq and Syria, as I mentioned. And now the guy running the show happens to be this (laughs) Maula the destroyer. A guy that was behind the campaign to capture, kill, at least kill the men and the older women who weren't good sexual victims or good sexual slaves. We all know what happened to the young girls and women that were became the so-called wives of the Islamic State fighters. They were brutally raped, gang raped in some cases. We've heard about the past graves. This guy's now in charge. Unless he's turned a new leaf, unless he's had a come to Jesus, sorry, a come to, Muhammad, sorry, a come to Allah moment, I can't see anything positive coming out of this new head honcho for Islamic State. The question then becomes what he could do with him. So Al Baghdadi was able to get out, he he, he was released from Camp Bukha in Iraq. Americans had him. He was able to basically evade justice for a long time before special forces found him. Will this new guy have a similar career? Will he evade detection? Will he hide out? Will he be protected? Will he move very carefully? We know that uh, with with Bin Laden in the post 9-11 period, he was very careful about cell phone usage. He was very careful about his electronic footprint. Because he knew that the Americans, NSA, National Security Agency, the counterpart to where I worked at CSE, Communication Security Establishment, was looking for his cell phone signal, looking for his communications to triangulate where he was and to basically kill him. This would model the destroyer, follow the same practice. How long will he remain in power? How long will he direct ISIS to carry out heinous acts of violence against innocent people? And what's his eventual fate? Will he be captured alive? I doubt that. Will he have his day in court? like Saddam Hussein. did you remember him in the Heidi hole when the Americans found him? I doubt it. This may come across as cruel and inhumane to some people, but what I'm hoping happens to a the destroyer is that one day he's going to find a hellfire missile up his arse. In other words, he's going to get droned to oblivion. Some would say that's not justice. Some would say he should have his, his day in the docket to be able to defend himself. But a guy who's responsible for the rape and murder of tens of thousands of Yazidis, he's pretty well guilty of what he did. I don't think we need to waste money on a court case in this in, in this instance. And again, I'm not a big fan of drone strikes. I think they do a lot of harm. As I think uh, airstrikes are the same way. I, I discussed this at length in my uh, second last book, An End of the War on Terrorism. So I'm not a military type. But for a guy like this, I think a hellfire is in his future. One less jihadi asshole to worry about. And a particularly brutal one at that. And yet, when he's killed, when he has, when he has his date with oblivion, he'll be replaced by somebody else. Let's just hope it's someone as bland as Ayman al-Zawahiri for al-Qaeda and not someone even more brutal than that. That's it for this Quick Hits Podcast. I'd like to hear what you think about my recipe for how to deal with Amir al-Mawla. You can reach me on email, borealisrescuegmail.com, or on Twitter at Borealis Saves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you want to subscribe to my content, please go to my webpage, www.borealisthreatenrisk.com. Find the subscribe button, put in your email address, and you'll get a free daily digest every morning, Quick Hits Podcast, longer interviews that I've done with people, an intelligent look at terrorism, blogs, media interviews, and everything. I'd love to hear from you. Please give me your feedback as well as ideas for future blogs and podcasts. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.